you have your bulletin, please open it, turn with me. Uh, as I've said, it's better to uh, look at your bulletin as we look at this study on Proverbs or look on the screen behind me. Uh, it'll keep you focused and keep you from having to turn from here and there in the book of Proverbs. Um, we are just a few weeks away from the end of our series, but we've been in the, in the spring doing a study on a wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And we said this many times, and if you've read the book, you know this makes total sense. But uh, this book is best studied topically. And so what we've been doing is grabbing uh, Proverbs from here to there throughout the book, pulling them together and looking at what the Proverbs say it looks like to have wisdom in a particular area or around a particular topic. And so we've looked at anger, we've looked at friendship and work and money and pride. And this morning we're going to shift gears a little bit and do what it looks like to have wisdom in the relationship of marriage. And so wisdom in marriage. There was a German philosopher who once said, Matrimony is the high sea for which no compass has yet been invented. Well, obviously this philosopher had not read the Bible, (laughs) Uh, particularly the book of Proverbs, because Proverbs says a lot about the relationship of marriage. Very specifically, uh, it's amazing what Proverbs assumes as we come to the book, but very specifically it talks about the relationship or what it looks like to have wisdom as a husband and wisdom as a wife and what that actually means looks like. And in some ways, as I've gotten into this this week, I thought we could do a mini-series and camp out on what Proverbs says about marriage for several weeks. We're not going to do that. This morning, we're going to look at marriage from a broader perspective. In saying that, let me say this. I think it's time to say this again. You can't say everything about anything, and if you try, you'll end up saying nothing. Good. You're with me. Uh, and that's true here, of course. And so please know, I'm, I realize there are people that are single here this morning and long to be married and want to be married one day. Uh, I realize that. I also realize that uh, there are people here this morning that have experienced in a real uh, painful way uh, the effects of sin in marriage. And so some of you are tensing up as you just simply hear the word. And I just want you to know that I realize that. I'm sensitive to that and that I can't say everything uh, this morning. But what I hope is that I hope that Jesus meets us through his spirit. And wherever you are this morning, whether you're married, single, or have experienced the pain of marriage, I hope that Jesus comes through his spirit and teaches us something about marriage this morning and encourages you in some way as we look at this from a biblical uh, perspective and particularly the book of Proverbs. So with that in mind... Please follow along with me as I read God's word here through uh, Proverbs. I picked a few Proverbs here. We'll start with Proverbs 2, 16 and 17. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. 18.22 He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. 19.13, a foolish son is ruin to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. 
This is God's word. Let me pray for us and ask God to come through his spirit. Let's pray. Father, we do need your help this morning. You tell us that we can't even understand your word. We can't apply this without your help. And so I pray that you would help my words to be clear uh, and that you would take your spirit and that you would, you say it's living and active as Mike prayed. And I pray that uh, it would be sharp uh, into our hearts and souls and minds this morning. Uh, Penetrate us with the word and with your spirit in a way that changes us this morning. And more than anything, show us um, how you have covenantally bound yourself to us, uh, your people. And I pray that you would burn that into our hearts and minds in a way that changes us so that we live differently in all of our relationships, but particularly uh, in our marriage relationships for those that are married. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. It was a few years ago, but in London, uh, it was a bright, sunny Sunday or Saturday afternoon, uh, and it was a perfect day for a wedding. Uh, There were about 50 people at this wedding, 50 people or so, and the bride was standing in the back, uh, and she was waiting to walk down the aisle, and she had the most gorgeous, beautiful white dress on that you've ever seen in your life, and the music hits, and the music is beautiful, and there's a a, a band there playing this uh, bride down the aisle, and she's walking down the aisle very slowly, and when she gets to the front, there's something wrong, or it appears to be wrong. Uh, there's no groom there. The priest is there, but there's no groom, and it doesn't throw her off or anyone else at the wedding, and there's a reason for that. It's because this 31-year-old woman who had been single for six years was tired of being single And on this Saturday afternoon, she decided to marry herself. And so she stood, this is a true story by the way, you can look it up. She stood up in front of the priest and she made vows to herself. She exchanged rings with herself. And the climax of the entire ceremony was, you know, the kissing of the bride and the groom. And so what do you do? Well, the priest pulls out a mirror. And hold, true story, <laughs> pulls out a mirror and holds it up, and she essentially kisses herself in the mirror. That raises lots of questions, doesn't it? Uh, lots of questions, but I do think it raises questions that are relevant for us this morning. Can you do that? <laughs> Can you marry yourself? What is marriage? You see, even though the cultural debate about Uh, who can get married, and uh, what marriage is, almost everyone would agree that marriage is at least between two people. The Bible says, and Proverbs right along with it, says very clearly that marriage is between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, and you cannot marry yourself. But I also think... uh, that story is revealing in some other ways as well because I think it gets at the problem, at least from where I sit, that I most often see in marriage. And it's this. People think that marriage exists for them. We do that, don't we? We think that marriage is all about us and our happiness. 
It's not. That's not what marriage is for. And this morning, we're going to look at marriage, and I want to show you that it doesn't exist for you and your happiness, but actually, I think it exists for something far better, far more glorious and better. So let's look at three things this morning, the priority of marriage, the purpose of marriage, and the power for marriage. Let's look at number one, the priority of marriage. Look at Proverbs 2, verses 16 and 17. Remember, context is king when studying your Bibles. And context is king, for sure, when we look at the book of Proverbs. And so remember, these first several chapters in the book of Proverbs are lectures from a father to a son about wisdom. And in these early chapters, this father is warning his son against adultery. And it's everywhere in these early chapters. It takes up... Uh, all of chapter 5, half of chapter 6, and all of chapter 7. Why is this father making such a big deal to his son about adultery? Well, think about what it assumes. It assumes that marriage is a covenant, and we see it in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, is a covenant that's made before God. And so you see Proverbs states along with the rest of the Bible that marriage is a covenant with God, And marriage is a covenant that you make with another person. You see, what makes marriage marriage indifferent than every other relationship that you have is that you are making a covenant with another person. What is a covenant? And I think this is important for us to stay here for a second because a lot of people think of covenants and they think of it in terms of contracts. I have a contract with AT&T for my cell service. Okay, so think about that. I pay them a fee every month, and they keep my cell phone up and running. I'm in contract with them. And if I quit paying my bills, what happens? They might send me a letter. They might charge me some extra for the next month. If I continue not to pay my bills, what happens? They eventually shut down my service or cancel the contract or something along those lines. They get out. They can get out of the contract if they don't like what I'm doing with them and how I'm relating to them. But the same is true on my end. I can get out of the contract with them if something better comes along. If I see another cell company with a better deal, I can go with them. Now, don't get me wrong. It might be a headache. <laughs> you might be on the phone for seven hours on hold trying to get out of it, and you might have to pay a little bit of money, but you can opt out and upgrade. That's the way contracts work. That's not the way marriage works. And a lot of people think it's like a contract, that we agree to love one another as long as this is working for me. But the moment you violate our agreement in some way, I'm out. If I find something better or I get happier in another deal, then I can always opt out and upgrade. That is not what marriage is. Marriage is not a contract. It is a covenant. That's important. It's not loyalty to an agreement. Marriage is loyalty to a person. It's been said that marriage is personal, public, and it's public. That's why it's done before God and witnesses, because you don't care who holds you accountable. It's also been said not only is it personal, public, but it's also permanent, It's a permanent promise between a man and a woman to love one another. And I think instinctively, 
we get this. I think we instinctively understand, if you really think about it, that marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. And here's what I mean. Think about the deep pain and heartache that exists when a marriage is broken or difficult. Doesn't, doesn't that reveal that there's something deeper going on and that it's not simply a contract? Because think about it. If I break my contract with AT&T, I'll break it on Monday, I forget about it by Wednesday. Is that what happens when you break a marriage? No. No. Why? Because it's a covenant. And because it's a covenant, when it starts to break, it impacts you very, very deeply. And it has impact on lots of people. And some of you, in fact, this morning sit here as adults and are still impacted by your parents' divorce 30 years ago. Why? Because it's a covenant. And so what does that mean practically? So what? Two applications. First of all, if it, marriage is a covenant, that means that relationship, your marriage relationship, if you're married, has to take priority over every other relationship in your life and every other thing in your life. That's important because it means that your marriage is more important than your leisure time, than hunting, than fishing, than sports, than your parents even. And then your career, because you're not in covenant with those things. You're only in covenant with one person if you're married. And so when you get married, you have gotten into something that you didn't come up with. It's something that God invented. And if you want to run your marriage your way, you're in for trouble. You're in for trouble because it's God's institution and he built it in such a way that it is to be the primary relationship in your life. And so if you think you're going to walk into marriage and make your marriage second or third or fourth in your life behind your career and leisure and every other thing in your life, you're in for a rough life. You are in for lots of pain and misery. If you are saying, my spouse better get used to it because I'm going to do what it is that I want to do, watch out. Marriage is not built that way. Marriage, because it's a covenant, has to take priority. It's why the Apostle Paul says if you're single, he says it's better to be single <laughs> because I don't have the restraints that, I, that married people do. That's why Paul elevates singleness in the book of Corinthians. Secondly, I think it means if marriage is a covenant, I think the application is that your feelings are not what sustains your marriage. Feelings don't sustain your marriage. Let's work that out. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, love doesn't sustain your marriage, marriage sustains your love. I love that. Here's what he's saying. Feelings don't sustain your marriage. The marriage covenant is what sustains your love. Why is that so important? It's so important because if you've been married any length of time, you know this is true, but you're going to fall out of like with your spouse. You're not always going to have these feelings of love towards them. Why? Because feelings change. And think about the culture in which we live. In the culture in which we live, it's love is a feeling. That's how love is talked about. Listen to every country song on the radio and listen, watch every movie that has to do with romantic love or comedy. It all is getting at love as being a feeling. The problem with that is feelings change. 
they're so tied, at least they are for me anyway, they're tied to what kind of week you have at work or what kind of week you have at home with your children, and they change based on what's going on around you. They're not stable. You see, that's why, think about a wedding. If you hadn't been to a wedding in a while, think about when a couple gets up and they make vows in front of the witnesses and before God. What are they doing? They're not making a declaration of their present love. Did you ever notice that? They're not making a declaration of their present love. They're making promises to be, to be loving in the future and to do actions of love. Think about it. When you see a bride and a groom standing up and before witnesses in the ceremony, they don't say, you look so wonderful. You look more beautiful than I've ever seen you. You look amazing. I love you so much. Are they doing that? No. You know what they're doing? They're not talking about their feelings at all. What they're doing is they're making promises to act loving in a day in the future. They're saying, I will love you 30 years from now in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, health till death do us part. When you make a covenant with another person in marriage, you are basically setting a date on the calendar. You're saying, mark it down, put it on the calendar. I will be there for you 30 years from now when your parents pass away. I will be there for you when your body starts to fall apart and you don't look the same that you did in your 20s. I will be there for you no matter what, mark it down. Let me be clear. Again, you can't say everything. I've struggled with that this morning. There's so much I want to say. Will you experience feelings of love and happiness and joy and delight in marriage? Yes, or at least I sure hope so. All I'm saying is that feelings are a byproduct. They're not the foundation. Feelings of love are a wonderful uh, result of being covenantally bound with another person. Secondly, the purpose of marriage. Look at verses nine, or Proverbs 19.13. A wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. Again, remember, context is king. These Proverbs are written from a father to a son. And when they pertain to marriage, particularly here, these are things that can obviously apply both ways in a marriage relationship. The NIV, I love, says it's like a constant quarreling. It's like a constant dripping of a leaky roof. Think about that image. Think about the image of water leaking through a roof. When water is used that way, it's useless. And not only is it useless, it's harmful. And so likewise, what the proverb is saying is that nagging and nitpicking one another to death in your marriage is like a leaky roof. It's those slow jabs, those sharp jabs over and over and over. The side comment, the, uh, the zinger. It's those things that wear out a marriage and wear, a love da- wear love down in a relationship. It's like drippy water coming through a leaky roof. But you see, the water image is significant in the Bible. This image of water shows us how critique and correction should actually work when it's working properly in a marriage relationship. Because in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul, the Apostle Paul's great chapter on marriage, listen to what he says. 
He's talking again about a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, and he says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might that so that she might be holy without blemish. And so here's the point: your marriage should be more like pouring of water and the washing of water rather than the nagging dripping of water. Because think about it, water when it's poured or when it's, when it, it, it can be cleansing and uh, transformative, but dripping water is harm, harmful and does damage like water does to a leaky roof. So what? What does that have to do with marriage and what is some application? Well, I think first and foremost, there's other purposes of marriage, right? To be fruitful and multiply and have children and to, as the Westminster Confession of Faith says, to prevent um, uh, sexual immorality. But another purpose of marriage uh, is your holiness. When you enter into a marriage relationship, you get transformed in a whole new way. God uses marriage to make you more like him, to knock off the rough edges in your life, to work on your sinful tendencies and patterns and particularly your selfishness. And it makes total sense. That's why we put the covenant part first. Think about it. It makes total sense if you think about the nature of the relationship. You're as close in marriage, being in covenant, as two human beings can possibly be. And so you're going to be for, you're going to see one another like uh, in every situation. And you're going to be forced to deal with flaws and sins in your life like never before. The things that you've ignored for years because you get to and because maybe you're in a dating relationship and you, when, when it got tough, you bailed and said, I'm out because you didn't want to deal with it. Well, now all of a sudden you can't run. And God uses marriage to help you to deal with things that people have been trying to tell you for years, but you've ignored them. And what's doing it and bringing it out in the relationship is not really even your, even your spouse. It's the weight of the covenant relationship of marriage that you're in. I love this quote by Tim Keller. He said, marriage shows you a realistic, unflattering picture of who you are. And then it takes you by the scruff of your neck and forces you to pay attention to it. Friends, marriage is not primarily about your happiness. It's about your holiness. Marriage is not primarily about your satisfaction. It's about your sanctification. And the temptation is, is when we start to bump up against our sin and we're forced to deal with it, the temptation is when it gets really hard is to say, this is a bad marriage. I can't believe I married them. I must find someone else. I need to find a way to get out of this thing. But when you experience that in your marriage, when you experience that where your sin is being revealed for who you really are deep down and you've never been forced to deal with it because you can always avoid it, when that happens, you're actually moving up against the purpose of marriage as God has designed it. And you know, it gets really hard, doesn't it? Because we can get into those situations and we can be just at each other and we're dug in, our spouse is dug in, and we're at a stalemate. Because you're not giving, because your pride's jumped up on you. And so what do you do? 
I want to encourage you. I tell all of my, uh, when I do premarital counseling, the number one thing I say, here's the only thing I'm going to ask of you. The only thing I'm going to ask you to do is that when you get in trouble and when, you, and, and when you're married and you rub up against a situation that you cannot fix and you're at each other's throat and you just are dug in and you can't see straight and you think they're the problem and they think you're the problem and you're both the problem, you've just got to promise me that you'll see somebody, that you'll pick up the phone and you'll call me and say, we need help. We need an objective party to come and help us to see what we can't see. And so I want to encourage you, if you're at that place in your marriage, talk to somebody. That you, sometimes a third party helps you to see things more clearly, things that you can't see for yourself. And what will happen, if you can break through that, even though you're seeing some painful things about your own heart, you know what else starts to be increased? The love of Jesus for you the love of Jesus uh, shining through in your marriage. And though this might sound very terrifying and even discouraging, it's not. It's the gospel. Because on the one hand, it's terrifying, but on the other hand, it's the road to you becoming the person that God created you to be. And God uses the marriage relationship to make you more beautiful and beautiful in ways that you could never be on your own. Thirdly, How do we fulfill the marriage covenant the way God has designed? I mean, think about what we've laid out here. How in the world do we do this? How do you do this? Where does the power to do this actually come from? Well, it's interesting. If you think about the Bible, the Bible is really a story about marriage, isn't it? The Bible begins in a wedding and ends in a wedding. God officiates the first wedding with Adam and Eve, and this whole world, in some senses, is headed towards the great wedding feast of the Lamb when God will take us to be his bride. And you think about how God, of all the things God could have used to describe his relationship with his people, out of all the pictures and symbols that he could have come up with, what did he come up with? Marriage. And so what we see is actually marriage is supposed to be gospel reenactment. It's a picture of how much God loves his people. Marriage is a covenant. And so that means, and I want you to think through the implications of this, that God, if you have faith in Jesus, has bound himself to you covenantally, not contractually. That means he doesn't quit on you. Psalms say over and over, His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love is not like AT&T in my contract with them. There's an incredible story in the Bible, the book of Hosea, uh, and it's about this guy who marries the town prostitute. And they get married, and even after they're married, she keeps cheating on him with other men over and over and over again. She even has children with these other men. And and all throughout this heartbreaking infidelity, he stays committed to her. And when we hear that, sometimes our ears can hear that as we read the Bible and we look and say, yes, that's me. I'm the the guy who remains faithful. I'm going to hang in there. Even when people are unfaithful to me. Nope. 
You're the prostitute in the story. I'm the prostitute in the story. That's what the Bible teaches. That you and I have cheated on God and been unfaithful to Him and committed adultery against Him over and over and over. And He's the person in the story that remains faithful and remains loving and remains committed to you. We are relentlessly unfaithful to Him, but He is always faithful in His promise to love you. Now think about that. If that grabbed hold of your heart, some of us, maybe we've heard that a lot over the years, if that really made its way down and got a hold of you, what would that do? That will change your life if you realize how much God loves you and the way he loves you. That will have tremendous ramifications for how you love other people. Because the gospel is what empowers you and makes you free to love other people in the relationships around you, particularly your spouse. How so? Well, because you can be gracious and patient with other people, and particularly your spouse. Why? Just think about how patient Jesus is with you. Think about how gracious Jesus is in your relationship with him. You can love and serve the messy people around you, and particularly your spouse. Why? Because Jesus loves you in the midst of your messiness. You can be patient with people. You can hang in there with people when it all seems like you're all out of gas in your marriage and you have nowhere to go and you feel like quitting. Why? Because Jesus is patient with you, and he hangs in there with you no matter what. You see how that changes you? That his commitment to you and the fact that he's in covenant with you actually changes you and liberates you and helps you to be free to go love and love other people radically and give yourself away for them. But it also, if you think about this, marriage, think about what we said, is laying down your life in order to make the other person more beautiful and holy. And so think about the gospel. What does Jesus do for you? Why does he come into the world in the first place? He comes into the world and he goes to a cross to make you more holy and lovely. That's why Jesus died. He marries you not because you cleaned your life up. He marries you in order to begin cleaning your life up. He marries you not because Jesus marries you not because you're lovely but he marries you in order to make you lovely. And how does he make you lovely? How does he change you and transform you? By shaming you and saying, get your act together? No. By manipulating you and saying things like, when I married you, I didn't know you were going to struggle with this every year or every month. Or I wouldn't have married. No, no. He doesn't manipulate us either. You know how he loves us? Is he gives himself away for us, and he, he uh, commits himself for us and sacrifices himself for us. And that begins, when you see him doing that for you, that begins to change you and transform you so that the fruit of the Spirit begin to overflow out of your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. Jesus really is covenantally bound to you. And if we can get that image burned into our hearts and into our minds, not only does that have the power to transform your relationships, 
but it has tremendous power to transform your marriage and help you to begin to live differently and to give yourself away in ways that you never dreamed possible. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving your bride, loving us, the church, enough to come and lay down your life in order to make us beautiful. Would you forgive us for making marriage all about us? Would you help us uh, to be humble enough to listen to our spouse and the things that they are trying to tell us and show us so that we can be made more like you? Lord, I pray lastly that you would help us through your spirit to apprehend the glories of the gospel, your commitment and your patience and your grace to sinners like us. Help us to apprehend that in a way that changes us so that we might be more patient and loving and more willing to give grace to the people around us, particularly our spouse. In Jesus' name, amen.